Welcome to the Tech Talk Show, an hour of news, views and discussion. Well, hi, Dan. Welcome to the show. Hey, Steve. How you doing? We've got a packed studio, haven't we? Super packed, So yeah. we're joined by uh, Johnny Stevens, and Johnny's from Indicator Limited. Hi. Hello. How are you doing? Uh, we've also got Max Williams from Pusher. Hi, Max. Hi. And you've got a bit of a tech background, which we're going to talk a little bit la- later on. And we've got Adam Fagg from Innovation Tribe. Hi, Adam. Welcome Hello. to the show as well. But first of all, we're going to go to Johnny. So, Johnny... Tell us uh, a little bit about Indicator and your business. Perfect. So, uh, yeah, Johnny Stevens, so Business Development Director uh, for Indicator. Indicator specialises in providing back office systems uh, for hospitality companies. So anywhere that supplies catering. So whether that's a restaurant, hotel, hospital, bar, you name it, um, we provide the back office system. So the type of uh, things we do is uh, stock and inventory management, labour, basically helping businesses become more efficient uh, in, in the way that they're, they're dealing. Sure. And what's uh, specific about the catering industry? Why did you pick that arena or was it something the company already had a foothold in? So yeah, the uh, the owners uh, or the main, main directors and founders uh, previously had a contract catering business. They sold that uh, in 99 and then we were founded in 2000. Right, so I've been going quite a while. We have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and tell us a little bit about the functionality. So exactly what does it do and how does it do that? Mm. So um, we sort of have four core modules. Um, Our main one is something called STORM. Uh, That stands for Stock Ordering Recipes and Menus. And that is designed to help chefs um, become more efficient. So, you know, chefs work long hours. Um, They want to be able to uh, look at what they need to produce. So putting on their recipes, looking at the allergens in the recipes, you know, when they finish their shift at 10 o'clock at night, the last thing they want to do is pick up the phone to their supplier because the supplier's not there. Um, so we provide an online system for them to place their orders with their suppliers. Right. So um, how does that work with the other three modules? Mm. So you've got that sort of... Tell us yeah, so we've got um, the, that, that storm side. Then we've also got uh, employment. Um, so that's all your you know, staff rotors, holiday tracking, sickness, making sure people get paid what they need to be, yeah. which is important. Um that then interlinks with our um, finance and payroll. Uh, sorry, fi- finance and profit even. Um, so that's looking at you know how much is the business making, um, is there profit? That's the that's the key thing. But what we do, we we've designed the system um, so that head office can track the site. So a lot of our clients have multi sites over the UK, sometimes 150 plus. They need to be able to get the information straight away. Yeah. And do um so when um when your clients you know pick up the package do they have to um, take all of the modules or do, can they just take one or no that's that's the beauty of what we do so we specialise in providing whatever the customer wants so we just turn on turn off the relevant rules um, and modules as the customer wants. Now we've uh, we've spoken to scheduling companies before on the show mm. and uh, I should think it's quite difficult actually with the catering and hospitality because it. There's so many different permutations. There is so many, yeah, absolutely, so many permutations. But also we're dealing with whether it's HR, whether it's a chef, whether it's finance director, you've got lots of different levels um, and everyone wants the system to do a certain thing. Yeah, um, So, you, you know, you're trying to join up what is the priority um, and often it's back down to efficiencies, but it's making sure 
you know what what what's what's the, the utopia look like yeah and it must be quite hard to accommodate different uh working patterns mm. so how do you how is that programmable within the system yeah absolutely so so it's looking i mean in in, in the labor side so looking at what you've rotated um what's that going to cost you um then looking through to one of the big bits we do we link in with um customers point of sale so we're getting in the data there that looks at what have you sold um, what then theoretically do you have in stock? So because we've got all that order data um, that they've placed with the suppliers, we can go, theoretically, you should have this in stock, which then means when the auditors come in, they know exactly what should What's, be installed. Yeah, so yeah. it's looking at that stock loss and consumption. So is it going to give you live time information about profitability or at least give you some absolutely. idea about that, yeah, what yeah. you've taken and what you've spent? Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that's, that's exactly what it is. Um, so... You know, we, we specialize in integrating um, with the accounts packages, payroll systems. We see ourselves sort of in the middle as a hub, allowing the head office to look at what profit's being made. And how hard is it to break into the industry in terms of that? What, in terms of that as a yeah, software? Yeah, yeah, well, software, yeah. I, I was saying before, the um, one of the biggest things, you know, t I think hospitality have been quite slow in adopting technology. Um, but what we're finding is now... They suddenly want it straight away, um, right. so it's it's becoming more and more. You know, this year we've found a lot of big sites that, you know, they've a good example. We've taken on a client recently. You know, they had six in their finance team, four thousand invoices a month, and they go right. We've got big growth plans. How are we going to do that without increasing our team? So mm -hmm. putting in technology helps that um, and means that they can grow effectively. Now you talked a little bit. Sorry, Dan. Yeah, you talked a little bit about suppliers. Mm. How hard has it been to get suppliers to take on the technology as well, or, or how is it? How is the order yeah, transferred out to them? So we've got we've got a, sort of a, a few ways then that we get the orders out, um, depending on the size of the supplier. Um, but what you'll find is that suppliers are very happy with it because one, it means their people aren't on the phone. True. Yeah. Um, and it means that they can still get the order whenever they like. So. Traditionally, a lot of the smaller suppliers would have an answering machine that, you know, message would be left and then they'd have to pick that up. At least if they're getting an email or, you know, purchase order straight away, there's there's the traceability. Mm. And so uh, I understand that, you, you you know, you work with the client um, to build up um, uh, their, you know, from your sort of core platform into a, sort of a bespoke sort of um, delivery mm. for them, all branded. How do you go about working with them to, to end up with their end? Absolutely. Solution? That's, that's uh, well, that, that's part of my role. So, so when we um, start with a new client, it's really understanding, first of all, what is it they want? Um, and that's quite key because when you're going through a project, making sure that you're always delivering to what their you know their aims were. Um, traditionally, we sort of we'll work out what resource they'll need, what resource we'll need, um, and a, a lot of our systems are implemented in sort of eight to twelve weeks um, from you know first project kickoff meeting to bang everything live. And you can get a complete system in that quickly. Yeah, really, really. We can, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's all there. It's you know we 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 can, uh, you know we can move whatever the client needs. Um, so if if they've got you know a restaurant opening that they have to hit that timeline, then then we'll work with that. And what are the common mistakes you see within your sector, in terms of you know managing resources and stock and yeah, all those things? I think uh, probably the biggest one is is assuming that a system's going to solve all their problems. So what they'll do is they'll they'll go right. We want a system. But what they won't do is change some of their internal processes first. So they'll mm. assume the system does that. So when when we implement the system, they that you know chef will go, well I can't do anything because it's not allowing me. But actually nothing's changed. 
It's just an internal process has changed within that company. Now, Adam, I know you're involved a lot in project management and change as well, aren't you? And and I've done quite a few projects myself. And that's the single biggest mistake I think companies make, isn't it? They try and develop a system that replicates how they do it now. Absolutely. Rather than building it around the system. Exactly that. And I think also the prioritisation in what you said, you know, they have a ton of requirements. Understanding what really, really matters because 10 weeks is really quick. Yeah, I'd say it is. I mean, you might have to do some front-loading business change first of all, would of you? Of course, yeah. yeah. Um, but it, but it, as well, it's it's working out, and, and like you're saying before, where you've got a modular application, it's very rare that a customer will take everything at once because they're not ready for that as a business. Yeah, That's sure. too much change. So it's working out what's their key priority. So a good example, um, in 2014, big allergen uh, legislation came in. All the restaurants went, we need something quick. Uh, we've got a recipe tool, gives them the allergen uh, compliant. So... You know, it's those type of uh, things that we can put in quickly that they can then uh, build on when they're ready. And what what do you see changing the sector over the next year or two? So what what trends are emerging? Yeah, absolutely. I um I think a big one is is the efficiencies. Um, looking at you know we've we've got food inflation now seven eight percent on a month, uh, and restaurants aren't going to be able, or restaurants or anyone catering aren't going to be able to cope with that. So they really need to be monitoring you know their GP carefully. Um, and and not knowing it a month down the line when it's too late, but knowing it instantly. I mean, also see, I don't know the other guys here. Whenever I go to a restaurant now, it used to be a pad of paper and do yep. the order. Now it's a, a smartphone, mobile device. Oh, it is absolutely. And and I think I mean it's not necessarily Saint We do, but you know I was speaking to someone the other day that said, um, uh, you know, one of the big chains in in Singapore is now letting uh, customers order on a tablet, so it slides out from the table. Okay. Um, you pay, so you don't even see a waiter. Because uh, Dan would go through the whole list if he could. <laughs> yes. If he was at the table, he'd absolutely slowly work through it. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Was well, I tend to work from the right of a menu <laughs> to the left? How much? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, tell us some about some of the successes you've seen over mm. the last year or two with companies and what a difference it's made to them uh, installing your system. Yeah. So I think uh, well, probably the the prime example of uh, where I saying. Uh, that big company that uh, looking for you know four thousand invoices to process and that was all being done manually. Um, you know that's a that's a lot a of lot, typing yeah. into an accounts package. So what what we've done there is work with them, um, get the invoices in electronically. So actually all they're doing is approving it, checking it, and it's straight in. So for them it's a you know a quicker process. Yeah. Um, but also you know the suppliers getting paid quicker. Mm. Yeah, I bet the supplies are. Yeah, and I presume because it's a, you know, you've spoken a bit about, you know, some of the larger, you know, Mm. um, customers you've got, which might have multiple sites, but in it being a a modular system, Mm. you're actually quite well positioned for smaller, you know, independent places to, to, you know, to start with one module and go off. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, we, I mean, we don't, you know, we deal with everything from one to, you know, 500 sites. It really doesn't matter. We don't, we don't mind as a company. Um, in fact, in some ways, those growing companies, if they can put the system in early, yeah, they then don't have the pain. Actually, you know, yeah. you know, three yeah. years down the line, where they want that growth but can't because they haven't got, you know, got yeah, the systems. No. So, uh, how does your um, costing profile work? So, is it mm. by employee or by turnover? Uh, so, we are uh, well, software as a service. So, we um, we have a license fee. Yeah. Um, and, a, and and a project management setup fee. Yeah. Um, so and that that's you know how many sites have you got? Um, you know we don't charge per users. It's purely on how many sites uh, and what um, modules. Licensing. Mm. Okay. And we've got the four modules. So we've got obviously the food and the stock management. Yep. 
we've then got, got finance, staff yeah. and finance and and water. then third one which i haven't really touched yeah, on so really touched uh, the third one um that's our uh, hospitality manager and patient ordering so that's all around engaging with the end customer so um, we're used in, in in a theater where they're booking hospitality for the boxes right um, so it allows customers to go on with credit card payment it then gives um, the the caterers there all the production sheets behind um, so they know exactly what should be out um, another one is where where we've got the patient order in a lot of patient uh, you know hospitals would have to take the orders the night before because they'd need to get them ready where what we've done we've uh, created an online application um, that uh, allows the the hostess to go around checking and taking the orders of those patients and what one of the biggest things there actually was um we're an online application uh, and our client came to us and said we've got a problem we haven't got internet in the hospital okay what do you do yeah um so so what we've done there is is they've got internet in the in the kitchen so they connect the tablets and as soon as they have connected them all They're the orders are downloaded taken offline. yeah right okay so assume um was that a very specific area, the patient ordering that you were asked to develop, or was it something where you saw? A yeah, market? no, it's it's it, well, often a lot of um, we we work with clients heavily. Um, you know, as I say, we we deal with everything. You know, the hospitals, event caterers. Each company will have their own way of doing things, and, and the way that we you know, we're hungry as a, a company to wrap the application around that company. We don't expect them to change every process because they they've clearly been running a successful business. What we're trying to do is just help them. Um, you know, grow uh, even further. So, uh, so a lot of um, something like the patient order is a specific client client request. Okay, but I suppose that must help with things like stock and. Well, yeah, it's, ma it's managing. Um, you know, in, in a hospital environment, managing. You know, what's been ordered, um, billing back to the trust. There's there's a lot of efficiencies that, you know, things that would take days. Um, trying to reduce paperwork, anything like that. Yeah, sure. And, and so lots of companies, you know, when when they start, you know, they start up, they'll pick up their own sort of finance package and mm. things like that. Do you do you have any, you know, um, where, you know, people are starting might want to look at one or two of your modules, but want to still use their finance package or something like that? Absolutely. And and that's one. So we, we are, we're not an accounts package, but what we do is we sit in between. So okay. we sit in between, uh, they may have a point of sale, so EPOS system. Uh, and an accounts package, and we export directly into into accounts packages. So people like Sage, uh, mm -hmm. JD Edwards, Oracle, um, and we you know we don't have any restrictions. We we can export the data in however the client needs. That's really really good. So um, what are you going to be focusing over the next couple of years? Mm. You developing um, anything new? Or? Yeah. So so we've just done. Uh, we're going through a, a sort of a rebrand of the application, uh, which is a big one. So that's being rolled out at the moment. Um, we're also uh, doing a bit more in Europe. Um, so we want a big okay. stadium uh, in Europe. So that's being rolled out at the moment. It's a multi-language. Um, so I, I would hope uh, over the next sort of year or so to be starting to work a bit more more in Europe and, and with, with some of the companies in the UK. And that's got its own challenges, hasn't it? It has indeed, <laughs> yes. Yeah, it has so indeed. Can <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, especially as... Uh, Brexit or not, Brexit comes towards us. Absolutely, and I think uh, in some ways, I think something like Brexit is potentially helping us in terms of people are really that anything with food now, you know, monitoring your your gross profit carefully, um, you know, and and a system is a very good way of doing that. Mm. No, no, sounds great. That's so cool. where can we uh, where can we see or find more information? Absolutely. Uh, so on uh, www.indicator.com, and that's indicator with an er as in catering. Um, okay. So uh, yeah. That's that's where you can find it. Fantastic, us. yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, no, it sounds really, really good. So, yes. um, 
from food, we're going to move on, Dan, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I'm wishing, yeah. We're well, moving on to um, Max. Max. Hi, Max. William. Welcome to the hi. show. And um, Max is from Pusher, yeah? Yes. Well, tell us, tell me about Pusher. Okay. So, uh, Pusher is uh, a company that helps developers be more productive, um, build better applications, and generally write less code. Um, we sort of phrase it in these terms because it's a little bit easier to consume for other people because yeah, sure. um, it's a very techy product. Mm. Um, and unlike sort of B2C companies or B2B, we, we sort of frame ourselves as B2D and that means business to developers. To developers and yeah. it's a whole sort of different ecosystem and a whole different way of doing things. And a whole different language. And a whole different language <laughs> and uh, a very sort of different way of selling, a different way of marketing um, and all of that kind of thing. Um, but in practice, what that means is that we have hosted infrastructure and developer libraries that people can use, that they integrate into their applications, and then it allows them to distribute information almost instantly to uh, as many connected devices as they have. Um, and so that's a very general thing. Yeah, uh, sure. It means that it gets used by tons of different people and... Uh, what we say is that if you were to sort of open up your uh, iPhone or Android or whatever you're using and look at some of the apps that you're using or even some of the websites that you go to frequently, there's a, a fairly big probability that they might be using pusher behind the scenes wherever there's uh, live data. So if, if you're on a sort of news website, some of the breaking news stuff might be powered by pusher. If you were using a sort of ride-sharing app, like the, the cars moving around on the map, that might be pusher. Um, and even we were talking about a company internally the other day that is using us, and they, they are an IoT company, and they do sort of IoT sprinklers. And, you know, potentially you could be controlling whether your sprinkler is on or off via pusher. Um, and so we, we, we sort of do all of these things and just make it a little bit easier for developers so that they can spend their time on, on building the, uh, the interfaces and the experiences that then make their application unique rather than the sort of plumbing behind the scenes. And these, um, the, the the sort of the the libraries that you've, you've created, are they um, things that you you and your colleagues have created and put together, or have you just pulled them from lots of different sort of places? And well, it, it's all stuff that we've created, but mm -hmm. we're um, building on top of um, an HTML5 standard. So there's you know standards for how browsers work and mm -hmm. what sort of functionality they have. And back in 2010 there was this this change which introduced this thing called WebSockets. And uh, we were super excited by this, but uh, <laughs> right. okay. you know, the rest of the world didn't know. So explain, uh, what, explain to me, what's a WebSocket? Tell so WebSockets basically allow you to keep open, connect, open a connection to a browser rather than the browser sort of says, I want this page, and the server says, okay, here's your page, and gives it back, right, and then okay. that's the end of it. Yeah. Like you keep a connection open, and then you can send data down to them um, and it's not just for, I mean, we don't just use it for um, web applications. We also have lots of mobile applications who sort of use the same infrastructure, but in a different way. Right. Um, but it just makes it, it possible to add all of these sort of real-time features, whether that's sort of live blogging or live commenting or the sports scores changing on a news website, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and when we, when we were in sort of 2010 and we saw this thing come up, uh, we were building other applications. I was running a, a consultancy business, uh, similar to yours, I think. And uh, 
we had to build these apps and we had problems with synchronizing data across the apps. Hmm. And uh, our idea at the time was that we wanted to transition from being a service comp services company to a product company. Um, and we had two products that we were planning on launching. Um, and then we sort of realized, actually, we've, we've solved this big problem for these two applications in keeping everyone up to date and making a, a sort of live experience. Uh, and so we shelved the two products that we'd intended to launch and we sort of went with the, the, the data product instead. So lo lots of um, companies now use, you know, now, now we've got sort of 3G, lo use, you know, lots of companies use um, for, you know, collecting data on, on the go so their engineers out yeah. on the site or whatever. Um, and obviously there's problems when you go between different connection areas, either going from Wi-Fi to, to mobile data or, you know, going where there isn't any data signal. Yep. So there's a bit of a problem with synchronizing data. Then how do you go around solving that? Um, well, there's there's various ways of doing it. And um, often customers will have to do some work themselves, mm -hmm. depending on what kind of scenario is most likely. I mean, we've got some sort of connection and reconnection strategies, you know, in the infrastructure and in the, the libraries that we give people. Um, but often it's uh, something that customers need to work out themselves because sometimes it's good to have all of the updates come through. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if you've sort of missed all of the sort of intermediary things, it's not very good to have it all sort of come in and sort of bombard you. So they kind of have to work that out for themselves. Mm, sure. And has, um, you know, what changes you've seen over development, uh, whether it's web or app development over the last few years, it has changed massively, hasn't it? Yeah, and it's it's really interesting the way that our company is set up and the kind of customers that we have. Um, the vast majority of our customers are in the US. A lot of them are on the West Coast. We've got loads of big names who use us. I mean, I'm not necessarily allowed to talk about them. That's okay. Uh, but we also get you to... You can tell me later. I can tell you. Yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> we, we get to see a lot of the trends that are happening. And in the because we've been going for six years, over that time, we've seen a lot of social networking sites come and go. Yep. We saw a lot of IoT companies come and go. Um, in the last couple of months, we've had a, a big spike in usage from all of our cryptocurrency customers okay. so anyone who's doing anything with like bitcoin or whatever that's been having a sort of crazy boom and there's a knock-on effect it is faddy though isn't it of course but like we we see our job as selling pickaxes in a gold rush and whatever those gold rushes happen you're going to get some pickaxes we'll, we'll yeah. get the people their pickaxes so that you want to get will... blankets and buckets and other things as well you, maybe yeah well that's that's probably our our future strategy uh <laughs> blankets and shovels yeah. and those pans for <laughs> sifting out the gold and the, the mud and whatever. I like that analogy, Michael. I it's could it's see not you. mine. No, isn't it? <laughs> no, no, no. No, other people have said that before. So we see um, people using a lot of plugins, don't we? So if they're going to build, they don't create it themselves. So they'll take a social media integration plugin and use that for theirs and whatever else. How, how will that develop going forward? How do you, do you support some of that as well? Well, I think the more that people can um, sort of outsource or sort of get out of their control large sort of chunks of functionality and development cost yeah, and development yeah. costs, lines of code, um, the more they can move quickly. And a lot of it for us in terms of the benefit that we bring people is time to market. Like if they can sort of like just pull in this component and it's not just a component 
with with loads of lines of code that will then possibly clash with theirs. It's sort of standalone. It's hosted itself. It's just got sort of minimal contact through the libraries. Um, then it means that they're not going to run into problems later on. They're not sort of increasing the complexity of the applications they're building. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Fascinating. And so, you know, we speak to lots of people, obviously, that have created apps or in the process of writing apps. And sometimes those apps are supporting, a you know, the main platform, which is on the web, or, you know, is a, a web platform. What are the common mistakes people make when creating their mobile apps? Oh, I don't know. Uh, certainly, one of the things that I think that people get caught up in at the moment, and when I say people, I mean developers, uh, <laughs> is... Are, are developers people? Uh, well, I, I like to think so. Uh, <laughs> I kind of count myself as, as half one of a developer, them. but yeah. uh, I don't really do much anymore. But th there's a lot of fads and a lot of um, sort of ideological wars in, mm. in the sort of developer world between, you know, what language is the latest hotness what framework, the way you should be doing it, and all of this kind of stuff. And for us, I think that that doesn't really matter at the end of the day, and that a lot of the time and energy and sort of thought that goes into these ideological wars could probably go into building better applications. Um, and, you know, that that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to sort of, like, do our bit in terms of leading people away. Because, you know, one of the problems for us is that the alternative or the sort of main competitor that we have is people building it themselves. And so we, tr we try and say, look, this is a, a better way of doing it because you're going to save time, you're going to reduce complexity and all of this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But the problem with developers, and I count myself one, remember, is that they love complexity and that's <laughs> not actually a downside. It's like, that sounds really interesting. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll do that, thanks. Yeah. How am I going to solve this? Yeah. yeah. Because um, Adam, you probably come across that as well. It's almost like a challenge to people, uh, and Johnny, you must as well. Where you go, yeah, oh, wouldn't it be great if we had that functionality or could do this, and that make it really complicated to program and and code. Yeah, absolutely. I think developers do love complexity. If they can find something new and and it's complex, they love it. Unfortunately, the customers don't always love it. So <laughs> you end up building something that no one wants. True. Yeah. And that's yeah, one yeah. thing that I've seen with with a certain amount of apps is that you get bogged down in the technical detail so much that you lose sight of why you're actually doing it in the first place and you're not building something that no one will ever use. No, I, I completely agree, don't mm. you, Dan? Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah. I mean, you do, we do see it a fair bit, don't we? I spent on one project almost a week trying to work out how to program <laughs> this rostering system to meet a particular requirement. And in the end, we just said, we'll just scrap the requirement <laughs> because... It, it was a certain way of doing something about how people took leave, and it became really complicated. Uh, we'll just stop them taking leave in that way, actually. And then we'll just, <laughs> instead of having a quarter of a day that could be accrued into four quarters, you know, whatever it was, just go, actually, should we just stop doing that? Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's, that's what often happens. You end up, uh, unless you take a step back and, and review, you know, what, what is it you actually want? Yeah. And, uh, and, and find a simple way. Yeah. So, Max, you've previously uh, been involved in a few other businesses, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I started um, back in 2006 um, building a software development company, um, and we built that up, and then we had a massive customer, and then they stopped all of the projects, and we had loads of people free, and that's when I was... Uh, then we changed course and uh, started developing products. Um, we separated the companies and I think that that's something that's really 
interesting to think about. Um, a lot of people try and build the products within a service company, and then you're right. like, oh, sh should we have these people working on the new future stuff, or should we have them like doing billable work? And then you end up in rows and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. So en we ended up separating um, the companies, and Pusher was one of the companies that came out. We had another one, which was a, a video encoding platform, so very sort of similar developer-y product. Yeah. Um, and that sort of got bought twice and now the original developer consultancy business has also been sold um, so you know push is the one that has continued the longest and how do you scan the market or the developer market to say actually we're starting to see that trend in you know an area that developers are working on we can actually probably do that quicker faster better for them how do you look at that how do you scan it's it's very interesting and it's sort of pertinent for us now because we're trying to exp expand beyond the original product that we built and try and add more. Um, when we were in a, a consultancy business, we were having problems all the time and, you know, we need to solve this yeah. and therefore, you know, we had the impetus to, to build something new. But when you're not necessarily doing application development every day, uh, you don't become, see it. You don't see no, it. Um, no. So we, I, I do a little bit of development and try and sort of keep my finger on the pulse a bit. Um, but we also have to look at trends in our customers. And for example, tons of our customers are currently building chat functionality into their applications, and right. they they're using us for that. Um, but we don't necessarily think that um, in its generalized form, it's as good as it could be. So one of the products that we're sort of building at the moment is a sort of more specialised thing for building chat features into applications. So it's likely to be that kind of thing. But they are really, really annoying chat features, aren't they? Yeah, but they're so prevalent. And yeah, they are, but they are... <laughs> nine times out of ten, they're rubbish. Yeah, but, you know, that's, that's fine if people want to <laughs> build stuff. That <laughs> you can improve for them. Exactly. I mean, that's what you uh, want. Yeah, yeah. It, I think it does increase engagement and does, does sort of lead to people spending more time in the applications. But um, you do end up with a sort of fragmented world where you, you have to sort of remember, well, who do I chat? Which app do I chat to this friend in? Is it WhatsApp or is it like FaceTime or you know yeah. something else? Um, but I don't know. Maybe there'll be a sort of solution to that in future. But so we are. Yeah. Yes, that's it. And so um, where are you going to be focusing, do you think, over the next year or two in terms of extending your product and pusher and what it does yeah primarily it's going to be on the sort of new product development um trying to round out the portfolio a bit bring some more specialized solutions like the the chat one there's another one that we're building which is about sort of text collaboration because we've seen a lot of people running into problems with that um and, uh, and tell me about text collaboration so f for example any um time within any sort of SaaS app that you're using that you need more than one person to sort of like change some text yeah. uh, often the sort of default way of doing that is to sort of copy and paste and go into Google Docs and then have a bit of a play around with people over there and then sort of yeah. bring it back um, and we've seen various people within our user base try and build that kind of thing within their applications so that people don't have to make that step yeah. um, and run into a bunch of problems we're having a go at sort of trying to solve that for some people. sort of online collaboration tool yeah, yeah that but, would help but, them. but more a sort of like developer -y yeah sort so of they UI can see thing. Yeah, yeah 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 um and uh so that we so we've got a sort of prototype of that that we're sort of playing around with at the moment okay um but we're we're sort of expanding our engineering team and trying to get into a cadence of more product releases okay yeah um and um 
we always like we get lots of people that are maybe founders or relatively new to the market. What would you say is the biggest thing you've learned through your experience over the last 10 years? And one area you think, yeah, I wish I'd known that a while ago. Um, I think that a lot of them would be sort of industry specific or like B2D specific. Like if, if there was one lesson I could probably give to companies like ours, it would be that uh, selling to developers is really hard. <laughs> uh, something a, a little bit more general would possibly be around sort of fundraising and that you don't necessarily need to follow a, a particular pattern that is sort of set and sort of like made I don't know into a sort of heroic narrative by a lot of the sort of startup press um, and you know you have to do your seed round you have to do your a round and you've got to do it within a certain time or otherwise you're sort of failing and also people seeing rounds of funding as a sort of measure of the success but actually it's just a sort of means to an end and people just get too focused on it um, we've had quite a sort of weird and varied financing path and we we went for just break even like going for break even and growing organically for a while and then we sort of realized that was going a little bit too slowly and that we might get sort of overtaken so we've gone back to sort of taking funding again right. um I think you've just got to choose the the right thing that for your company rather than just following the herd. I mean, it's the single biggest issue that most people mention on this show, really, yeah. uh, especially if they're relatively new. or well, It's normally around about the year to two-year-old companies that are in that bogged down in fundraising and everything else. Yeah, they and often... It can be really difficult, yeah. Often it's, uh, companies are much cheaper to set up these days than they used to be, and a lot of the sort of venture capital industry is set up you know, the, the clues in the name capital, like you don't need much capital and you can use services like ours, you can use AWS, you can use all of this kind of stuff to get your applications going and sort of pay for it as it scales. You don't yeah, need to sure. sort of like buy a room full of servers or anything. No, and I think actually what most people want to do is it, it's money to help them launch market, mm. buy another skills to actually get, get some um, traction on their idea or their... It's not the developing that takes the co is the cost. It's all the other things that sit around running a business. Yeah, I mean, developers think that uh, all of that stuff is the easy bit once you've got your <laughs> sure. got your product done. <laughs> well, and actually, I think that's another lesson: is that all, it's all of that other stuff like uh, marketing, execution, marketing, yeah. sales, and whatever. Well, you just really... said it. You know, how do you reach developers? Yeah, you know, in their nature, they're not exactly the most outgoing of people, are they? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that's true, though. How do you get get to them? Well, I think that one of the key things that we've learned is that you've got to sort of focus on creating value for them and be doing things that are sort of generous, like supporting conferences, creating content for them, yeah. things that are sort of like peripheral to your sort of main goal. And, you know, also making a, a really great developer experience, like making the product as easy to use as possible. Uh, means that people love it yeah. and uh, they cool. tell their friends. And, you know, we had people tweeting at the beginning, you know, pusher makes me feel like a magician and that's the kind of thing that um, we'll get and be we'll shared get, yeah, yeah. yeah we'll get you right. moving yes yeah, well it's been fantastic to talk to you thanks i know you're going to hang around for the rest of the show so yeah Dan. Yeah. yeah perhaps you could sort of tell us where you and um, we can find you that's all right oh right uh yeah pusher.com there you go yeah. that was the marketing bit <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, that's me doing marketing yeah there you go job done <laughs> fantastic so, Dan, uh, we're now going to go to a, pre a quick pre-record. And are. then after, we're going to speak to Adam Fagg. So, let's go to the pre-record and we'll come back to Adam in a sec. We're now joined by um, Lobster. 
co-founder and CEO, Olga Egorsheva. Um, nice to meet you, Olga. How are you? Nice to meet you. I'm fine, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, really busy day here at Unbound. Um, you were just saying last year it was not nowhere near this sort of volume of, of people. It's really an up-and-coming event in, in the London tech scene. Um, how, have you, how have you found today um, as an exhibitor? It's been really active and unexpectedly productive in terms of not just meeting investors and the tech people, but also potential customers in the agency world, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, let's let's talk a bit about Lobster um, and, and you're a co-founder. How did the company um, originally come about and, and, and uh, start, basically? Right, so we started in 2013, formally, when we registered the company in the UK. And the idea came basically to the three of us. So I was working in marketing for a big brand and I was always struggling with all the similar photos and faces. Like I was working with Singapore market, but the faces were German or American faces. So <laughs> No idea. Yeah, it wouldn't ring a bell with the consumer and even less so today. So my co-founder Maria, she's a designer. So she had to work with imagery a lot as well, and she had a pain with it. And our third co-founder, he's a tech person, but he's a photographer, so it all kind of came together. And I was also um, helping my father while studying, um, starting, all, starting up his own company related to photography. So I knew the photographer's pains monetizing the, the work from before, which helped me quite a lot. Yeah, so the three of you have all got different strengths, I guess, that really complement each other to make a really dynamic team. Yeah, exactly. I guess it's a must in a successful startup to have complementary skills and mainly to have someone developing the business and the strategy, someone doing design and someone doing tech and quality. Yeah, brilliant. So let's talk about Lobster as a, as a platform. and it's, it's sort of a digital marketplace. Um, can you just explain to our listeners uh, how it works and, and, and the benefits of it? Yeah, for sure. So um, we lately started saying for simplicity that it's an Uber for stock photography because what it essentially does, it allows every individual across nine social networks and clouds to connect to Lobster and start selling or monetizing or licensing, in other words, their work, their photography, their videos, their 360 degrees. So there is nothing you need to do, you just connect your account and then we get all the data and we index it and then we apply artificial intelligence to tag the photos, something that came in just last year because we understood from customers that hashtags and geolocations and comments are nice but they don't allow still to find photos because many people would say photo of the day or insta photo daily whereas a creative person, a marketeer is looking for exactly a black and white cat on green background so we launched artificial intelligence to, to tag those and then this year machine learning based quality ranking algorithms to actually surface the best quality photos in, in all the billions that are being posted. Yeah, and then the agency on the other side, the agency, the brand, individual marketer, freelancer, whoever needs images, they can buy those photos and the users get 75% of all the revenues, which we thought is fair. And the creative professional gets a proper license just on, like on the traditional stock photography. So, yes, yeah, so to go back a step, the, the actual tech behind it will... Uh, 
actually understand the what's in an image and will index it and give it a name, which makes it easier for the, the agencies to, to find exactly what it is they're looking for. Um, and then the, the consumer yeah, receives a lot of the, the commission, basically, and they retain the copyright as well. Um, they do retain the authorship, uh, so no one is taking it away from them, and the buyers just get a royalty-free license to use this photo commercially or in an editorial piece as well. And, and how many users um, does, do Lobster have um, monthly at the moment? We have active, on average, 20,000 people from across the world. Um, shared between UK, US, Latin America, some in Europe and some in Asia. That's a, a wide range then um, and, and also a lot of yeah, creative agencies starting to use that. Um, wh- where are you sort of looking in the future to, to sort of go? Well, the vision is that we become the place, the one-stop shop for you when you're looking for realistic imagery or videos. So the moment you think, I need photos for this project, I need videos for this production, you, you remember about Lobster and you remember that you can actually buy real people's photos and videos, whatever local or global project you're working on. Um, and we are moving there. We already have, as I said, nine platforms connected. Some of the people like YouTube they actually called us themselves and asked us to add them to the platform because they have this pain of advertisers legally licensing the videos to use in, in future production work. So in terms of the actual purchase of a, of a video or an image, who sets the price that, that the agency will pay? We do set the price automatically, so that the same algorithm that actually um, decides on the quality and relevance of the image assigns the price and it can depend on few factors from resolution so the objective quality of the image to popularity to whether it has been featured before and so on. So pictures of pugs are, are quite high up there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the, 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 anything that's sort of trending at the time it will fluctuate the price over, over a matter of months. It can, yes, it can. That's, that's amazing, and the, the actual tech that you guys have built behind that, um, yeah, true, truly is. Um, where can our listeners find out more about Lobster? So you can go on lobster.media, that's the, the domain name. Some people ask if we've got com or coyuk in the end, but it's just lobster.media, and you can learn all about it, and you can also log in with any of your accounts with your Instagram or Facebook or YouTube and you can say okay I can I want to license these photos some of them maybe not all of them you have the choice um, and join us brilliant that sounds great Olga definitely worth worth checking out thank you very much for joining me um, enjoy the rest of your week here at Unbound thank you so we're now joined by Adam Fagg from Innovation Tribe Adam welcome to the show and it's it's great to have you on yeah, so um, you're, you're from the Innovation Tribe. Perhaps you could tell us a bit about what you do and uh, yeah, how you do it. Sure, I'd love to. Um, so I'm slightly different to the other two guys in that I don't have a product. We're a um, service consultancy. So um, I've always had a background in product management and product development um, for the last 10 years. And our story is a bit uh, different in that it was born out of a frustration that we created the company. So 
I had always worked on an insight-led product. We always used to get lots of customers together to tell us what they want, and then we'd build products off the back of that. Mm-hmm. And I'd go out to the market to get insights, and I was getting really frustrated with the quality I was getting back. And my partner in the business runs an insight agency, and they were getting really frustrated that they had these great insights, and they wanted to do some cool products with it, but they couldn't find anybody to help them out. So we brought the two companies together, and we launched Innovation Tribe. Okay. And the idea behind it is that we use insights to power building great products for companies. So we don't have one product ourselves. We mm-hmm. help them build great products. So they have an idea or a problem, and we help them build it out and and do some cool stuff. And is that the way you do that? Has it has that changed over time, or are you generally using the same sort of methodology and process? Yeah. So we the company itself is very new. We're three months old. Okay. So we're in that crazy stage at the moment where we're trying to do everything. Um, but definitely, it's changed. I think how products have developed across the board is it's still changing so much but for me you know when I found out how to do agile it, it blew me away and and you're hearing lots of buzzwords around agile at the moment but it really is the way to build great products that customers love um, and what what makes it so unique then what do you think well I think for me when you look at traditional waterfall projects so you spend six months up front finding out all the stuff you need to learn and you do all of the analysis and you find out all the requirements yeah and then you get around to building it for two years so then two and a half months down the line you launch a product and actually the customers change, their requirements have changed, and the product's out of date. And the market's changed as absolutely. well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I yeah. think that's more pertinent now in that the market is changing, especially with digital. It's changing so quickly that actually you have to be reflective of that and, and be up for the change as, as you build the product. And that's what I love about Agile is you're bringing the customers into that process. Johnny, do you, Johnny do you see that in your market as well? It changes so quickly. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you have to be continually talking to your customers yeah. uh, to because, as you say, you know, a year ago in in our business would be very different from from where we are now yeah um so you know if, if we started saying right in five years time we want to deliver this but that won't be relevant so adam yeah agile is a process as well is it that you would go through how does yeah that absolutely work? so we help we help companies in an agile process and, and how they can do agile right because i think for me i've seen firsthand you know i worked for a company for for three years where we really built up their agile capabilities and when i first started there they were doing agile but they were doing a stand-up. They were doing a sprint review. It wasn't agile. If you if you throw into the developers that we've got a change of requirements from the customers, they would pull their hair out and go and hide for a week. It wasn't agile. It was agile in they're doing some of the theory, but they weren't up for change. So I think for me, we built a, a truly agile process. And an example is we, there was a project that was running. It was 18 months over, over time, and it was hugely over budget. So we put the project through a truly agile process and we stripped it back to its core requirement of what do the customers actually want. And what had happened is the team had had mushrooms, they were hiding down in the basement, doing lots of complex coding as developers occasionally do. Um, and they'd completely built the wrong product. So, so they built a great back-end system that was hugely complex, but actually they hadn't built the core requirement that a customer wanted to better do this thing online. So right. then we took it back and we delivered the product in six weeks to a FTSE client. So that to me is, is I saw the real value in the whole team being agile and that was 20 people across different sites, okay. marketing, sales, we put everything into an agile culture. And how how long can it be or how long does it take to actually get that culture embedded? I think as long as you're as, as long as you're up for it, then it can happen very quickly. Okay. Um it obviously can be challenging to someone that's worked in a very different project management method to 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 become agile. Mm-hmm. Um but I think I think there's so much theory going around about agile. Actually, in its simplest terms, we're just getting customers to help us build our products. Okay. And then they're going to want them because they're helping them build them for you. So, 
Yeah, I was just thinking when you, when you go into a client and you start, you know, you, you start looking at the, the project and changing, you, you you must get different types of uh, resistance through different sort of layers. Absolutely, yeah, and I think it's always a difficult decision for companies to to come to someone like us and say we need some help, you know. And we're finding that out. We're very new, so going out and, and we've got a ton of contacts that have you know through our our kind of past, but to actually come to you and say we need some help is very challenging. So we tend to steer them through a bit of the matrix that says you know. Where's your cash cow now? What's your next start? Because it's the Boston Consultancy Group matrix, which I love. But it basically says, you know, you've got a really nice cash cow, but eventually that will become a dog, and what's your next start? So we kind of talk them through that culture, and it's quite interesting to see their mind, because they they know something needs to happen, but they just don't know mm. what or how to do it. So absolutely. And, you know, when you're going into a, a big bank and you're saying to them, well, with Agile, you'll fail, but you'll fail early. They don't like failure. So they're like, <laughs> no, no. 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 No failure, but we've never had a project fail. Right, <laughs> we've got loads we've never finished. But exactly. Yeah, yeah, that. that's yeah. It, yeah. So it's about failing early and learning and 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 adapting to that that learnings. So, so if if I you know you came to me and said right, I'm going to help you in, improve and become, you know, adopt a more agile approach. Where would you focus first? What would you be your first step? So I think for me, I would always start with insights. So I think before we do anything, we say, what are your insights? What have you got? What do you know about your customers or target audience? Because I think. It makes decision making easier if you know the insights. So okay. we always start with doing some insight work first of all. They may already have some insights, but we'll help them just pad those out to make sure they've got the key themes there. And then and we is do... that and that's the key to that is not what you perceive your customer is or wants, it's what actually your customer does want. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's how you get the insights. Because if you send out a survey, people will tell you what they think you want to hear. But if you get people in the room and you have a huge prototyping session, a really interesting thing was that um, we do a lot of work with charities, so my background is with charities. And charities are going through a huge period of change right now because donor requirements are changing. Charities are quite traditional, so you've got the top 500 charities get about 90% of donations, and there's 200,000 charities. So right. there's an awful lot of charities that are fighting for a, a, a lot of money still, but there's, there's not for, for the amount of charities, it's very difficult for them. And the donors' needs are changing. So we find that we did a really cool prototyping session with some, some donors to find out what they actually wanted from their charity and how they want to interact with them. And all donors want to donate to smaller charities that are close to them. That's what they all want to do because they know their money will make a difference, but they end up don donating to a bigger charity because they trust them. So we did something really simple in the prototyping session. We put a Twitter blue tick next to the smaller charities on this platform. So we were like prototyping a, a platform. And immediately they trusted the smaller charities because it had this tick, this verification tick. So that's a cracking bit of insight we can go away mm. and work with and say, look, you know, the donors want to donate to smaller charities. They just want to feel that it's a real charity. So that, that there was brilliant. And we could help the, the company build this product on that basis. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So what elements will make up? What other elements will be part of the Agile? So we, once we've understood the client or the customer, where do we go next? Yeah, so typically with Agile, you have a scrum team. So that would be the core. It's typically referred to as like the engine room of the project. So there'll be the a developer, a tester, an analyst, and a product owner, and a scrum master. So the scrum master and a product owner are, are leading the project. Um, the product owner is previously been my role. So I'm not overly techie. I understand the tech, but actually, more importantly, I know what the customer wants. So the product owner will represent the customer and typically the business case and the and, and the money, essentially. So they're the interface with the business. So you'd normally have a bring a scrum team together. Um, on projects we've done, we've been slightly different with the scrum team in that we've expanded it into marketing and sales as well because it, we felt that the team performed better 
if they were all working towards a common goal. And it was great to bring them together. So you'd bring the scrum team together um, and then you'd create a backlog. So a backlog is all the stuff you want to do to build your product. And the back, it's everything. So so you make it really visual. That, that's what I find re works really well because with a lot of projects, they hide away and the senior stakeholders don't really know what's going on. And typically, unfortunately, they don't think they're working. If it's behind, they can't see the effort that's gone into it. So the yeah. great thing with a backlog is you know how much work you need to get done. And it's really visual. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. I was just wondering, so, um, so lots of companies must be coming to you, but are they coming to you when they're quite a, a long way down the line of, oh, no, we need help? when they should actually be contacting you a lot sooner on. Exactly, yeah. So we, we get uh, a lot of inquiries at panic stage, um, <laughs> which is which is fun. I mean, it's it's not fun. It's good to help them, but it's actually, you know, they're really panicking, thinking, what can we do? And then they're, they're not thinking straight. They're throwing lots of ideas, and they're up for taking more risks because they have to, but there's no structure around the ideas. So that's where we can help them. Mm -hmm. We can say, okay, let's really put this into a framework that we know works, and we can find where the real value is and prioritise that. And is it a common mistake where people try just to go purely go too broad that they, they you know they, they haven't got their focus right and they've started to ping off in different areas yeah I think we're all guilty of it as well aren't we there's something shiny and new I was saying to the guys earlier <laughs> yeah. I'm so guilty of it there's a new bit of tech I want to play with it and actually it's sometimes you know what is your core proposition um, is it still relevant to the market because if it's not then we'll find something new but if your core proposition is really relevant to the market it just needs a bit of updating then absolutely but yeah, people do try and uh, look for other things when actually their core proposition is really, really good. Mm. And what sectors are you involved with? So, yeah, we my background is um, financial services. So I worked okay. um, for HSBC for a few years with their, their current account range. Um, but more recently, I worked in the charitable sector. So it was kind of for my sins, I thought I'd go and repent and do some great work for the sector. So the charity sector, as I said, is undergoing huge change. Sure. <clears throat> um, again, Donors need a different way to engage now. They, they, they're not traditional. You know, there's been a lot of bad press around Olive Cook, who um, was basically hassled into donating to 25 different charities. Mm. Donors now want a different way to be spoken to. They don't want to be asked for more money. Um, they want to be engaged to the cause and they want updates about what, what they're doing. So yeah. that's a really nice sector for us to work in at the moment. And we have a lot of experience there. So that's where we're focusing ourselves at the moment. Um, but we also do agile coaching outside of the sector. So we do a lot of that around actually any business but we find a financial services are just clicking onto agile and where next do you think so long-term plan for us is that we are obviously very new so we're still kind of learning ourselves so we've got our core proposition but we have no doubt that that will change over the next few years yeah. um but i think for me i would like to be um an agile a certified agile practitioner that i can train other people in to be certified so at the moment i'm certified to to run agile courses and to run agile yeah, but not, but to, not certify. to train. Yeah, okay. exactly. So I want to train the trainer, basically. And, and yeah, is it something you've used in your sector? It is. It? Yeah, within yeah. Uh, within our business, absolutely. Yeah. That um, the whole uh, agile scrums. Um, so yeah, we we, we, we are very similar. Aware. Mm. Max, you use it? Uh, not scrum specifically, but different sort of flavors of agile. We use and has it scrum. worked? Uh, yeah, I mean the the general idea of it, the principle of it, uh, absolutely works. And you know having dialogue with your customers and sort of m making change something that is welcome rather than, you know, you know, hostile. All of that is great. Um, yeah. Yeah. No it, sounds, no, it sounds fantastic. Yeah. I haven't come across much of it, really. No. No. I and mean, I came from public services background, so they use very traditional uh, project management methodology, really, which can be really clunky. Uh, and quite, expensive. 
Yeah, of course. Yeah, it was public service, isn't it? <laughs> Everything's expensive, and not not nothing's really agile, is it? You know. So, I mean, they might use lean process, but that was probably the main their main focus, mm. really. So, uh, change was very slow, mm. and they they didn't. Uh, that's why you end up with huge, hugely failing computer systems that you know just did not. They didn't get to the end of improving what they wanted because the market or the requirements had moved on quite a lot, and I think that's probably a, a real. Uh, mistake in that field i think absolutely yeah. so yeah anyway well that that's that's it for the show yeah, it's it is, been yeah. fantastic so thank you so much everybody for coming in um great to speak to you and i think it's been some great uh, advice and background for for tech companies so thanks ever so much yeah. and we'll uh, we'll hopefully listen in again soon sure. Brilliant. Well, cheers thank thanks thank ever you. so much thank you bye. cheers bye